What's up, documentarians? Bob Sham here, here to give you another pre-episode intro. I think these will just come in a limited capacity until we uh, get through the the co-host by co-host themes and what they represent. This episode, of course, being with my friend Drew, who hosts uh, the show WXNA's Walk It Off on local Nashville Freeform Radio. Go check that out on, I believe it's WXNA.org or WXNA Radio. Also, to serve as some pre-apologies, I thought the Atlanta Thrashers won a cup, and I was incorrect. I was actually, I think I was getting them confused with the Carolina Hurricanes, who are in Raleigh, who I thought were in Charlotte. And they were champs in 2005, a a few years after they came down from Hartford. And we all, at the time of this recording, it was up in the air whether Nashville was going to get a major league soccer team. As it turns out, yes, we are. We do talk a bit about sports. Drew is a sports fan. Our goal, he and I, for our episodes, are to discuss sports movies, most notably the 30 for 30 series, plus several more that we have planned for you. Also, um, some apologies for some audio glitches, uh, which definitely happened in this episode and maybe in the next couple. On my path to perfection, I appreciate your forgiveness. We are going to bloom like butterflies popping out that cocoon. What is it on the uh, wings of those fresh butterflies? Yes, it's Werner Herzog's face, all right? All right, stay sweet. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Peter called me, and he said, you know, Bruce, if you're really serious about Gretzky, let's talk. first initial chunk you know so tell me what you but want that's to what's say. fun the bullshit when, yeah when you're just kind of introducing each other and being like oh hey this is somebody i know and let's get to know each other again hey what you been <laughs> up to buddy what's up dogs that's our uh, catchphrase for the show and that's docs with an x not a cs that should help us not get sued as much <laughs> welcome to documenteers yay Woo! Now, our first episode, you heard uh, Stuart. He's my main on this podcast. But there's many varieties of documentaries. And so I bring in people I know who would provide an expertise upon certain subject matter. My wife and I will be talking more about uh, true crime-driven documentaries. But we will be talking about sports documentaries with... Drew Wilson. WXNA DJ Drew Wilson, host of Walk It Off and Loud Love Sundays. Both those shows start at 11 Central Time to 1 in the morning. You got it. You forgot a couple of my titles in there, but Esquire. No, it's all right. Esquire, writer, producer, mostly just talk about sports and other stuff on the radio. You're a big sports guy. You host a sports show on Freeform Nashville WXNA. Which basically makes me an expert in the field. You do know a lot, though. And I, I'm kind of a sports guy, too. You let me sub in uh, when uh, your regular co-host, Dave, is out. And sorry about that last episode. I should have taken notes. Notes makes all the difference. It's all right. We we'll, we fight through. Yeah, <laughs> we have a good time. That's the point. 
but you do know a lot about sports and especially i feel like i'm a maybe slightly above average fan and that's just kind of recently i love our local nashville predators i love the titans as much as that breaks my heart often not a good day for that uh, nashville's gonna get an mls team too apparently right hopefully soon they already have the soccer team they're just waiting for the uh, approval approval getting them into the mls putting them up I bet it'll happen. It looks like it. They got the stadium now. Approval for that was the big thing. And a little uh, taxpayer scam, get a stadium built over there. Guys, you know, we're going to be discussing the 30 for 30 films, those documentaries. I'm a big fan of that series. Bill Simmons, founder of Grantland, kind of Grantland is like... Like if NPR met your local sports talk radio, he had the idea. He said it to like, I guess ESPN producers and they ran with it and gathered up all these like sports films and ran for documentaries. A lot of them about an hour, hour and a half, some are longer, but they were fantastic. And it represented the 30th anniversary of ESPN. I actually forgot about that at the beginning because 30 for 30s have become such a part of the sports fans life right now. Yeah. They're known for being these really excellent short-form sports documentaries that kind of tell a story that you might not might not have known the details about before. They get the players in there. They get good people to you know, kind of give their point of view of what exactly was happening at that time. But it's become such a part of our life as a sports fan. I forgot that it was originally supposed to be just 30 of them. It's the name. Already we're, we're starting to watch these 30 for 30 again. I, I saw a lot of the early ones already, and it's been really – I'm really excited to actually go through them again. But you mentioned, like, tax havens for sports team voters. And very quickly – I realize that we are already seeing a lot of that. These weird sports team owners off the top of the bat in like these first couple that we're going to do. Uh, you can see that right off the bat that it's a business. Yeah. You don't like to think about that as a sports fan, but you see that business end and somebody's got to get the shaft for somebody to make money. These billionaires, they want a new stadium and they don't want to pay for it. But a lot of these fans, especially in these longtime markets, are going to be like, hey, I want uh, the Eagles need a new stadium. It happens. We just saw NFL franchises move, three of them, because they couldn't get enough money out of the taxpayers of their local communities to build new stadiums for them. And they used the threat of another city coming through with bushels of money, hopefully in cartoony sacks with dollar signs on them. And, of course, you're talking about all the California teams shuffling about, right? The yeah. Rams. Rams live in St. Louis. Raiders live in Oakland. The Chargers going to L.A. and barely having a fan base in their new area. Yeah, they have no fan base. They're playing in a soccer stadium right now. <laughs> That's what you get for not giving us a new stadium, San Diego. And I think L.A. is really uh, getting up with the Rams. They're doing very. They're doing pretty good this year. They're looking like a team that can. What is this walking off? Are we on your sports <laughs> show right now? Stop talking about current events in sports world. No, we are talking about sports documentaries. And we are going through all of the thirty for thirty in release order our first one is we watched king's ransom directed by peter berg this is the story of the big trade that wayne of wayne gretzky from the edmonton oilers to the los angeles kings and how that affected both towns and how that affected uh wayne gretzky and an entire country it's probably i could see this is probably still one of the biggest trades of all time um, because it involved the greatest to date the greatest hockey player that ever played the game maybe some yinzers in pittsburgh will argue that with you Maybe some Detroit people, but not too many. Wayne Gretzky, the best hockey player ever. 
no, pretty much a fact at this point. No, I'm a big hockey fan. You're you grew up in Long Island, Long Beach, Long Island. So you're an Islanders fan from way back since you were a young man. Oh yeah. But I was watching this. I was like, I love hockey now. So I was thinking like, oh, it would have been great to be a hockey fan in the '80s. Thinking back as a boy growing up in rural Tennessee, that was not an option. Part of this documentary is how it legitimized not just the northern teams in the USA having hockey teams. Yeah, Los Angeles was a pretty much a big testing ground. I mean, if it wasn't for that organization, it's hard to say how much that would have expanded throughout the United States. And there was a lot of hate for that early on. People laughed when Nashville got a team. People laughed when the Atlanta Thrashers became a team. That one didn't work out. No. But Nashville's <laughs> one of the jewels of the NHL right now. And that's so awkward that it didn't work out for Atlanta because they won a cup. They win a cup in like their first year, first or second year. Did the Thrashers win a cup? I think they, yes, they did. Not really sure. that one. You're talking about the Ilya Kovalchuk, Danny Heatley Thrashers? I don't, th- I don't know if they won it with Heatley. We met. Now nah, we did research. We just didn't do this research. <laughs> uh, you didn't tell me you're going to bring this up. Sorry, it just goes all over the map. But <laughs> but yeah, being I'm such a giant Nashville Predators fan, I couldn't imagine them not being here. And of course, they're already talking about how the stadium needs to be updated and stuff. And it's like, come That's on, a nice stadium. Come on, yeah, it's a it's a fine stadium. Growing up as an Islanders fan, I was going to games at the Nassau Coliseum. I thought that's what hockey stadiums looked like. <laughs> when I moved to Nashville about going on 11 years now, first Preds game I went to, this place is gorgeous. <laughs> this is like a real arena. Well, fortunately for you, there is an Islanders 30 for 30, a little down the road. Oh, spoilers. Uh-oh. What are we going to say about that one? I wonder how Drew's going to feel about that one. <laughs> well, actually, I like the Islanders. Actually, remembering what that one is about, I think you're going to have some pretty intense emotions regarding it. Mike cry yeah you just might is it about how shitty a stadium the coliseum was <laughs> no, i'm serious there's one level one concourse it's round it goes around the whole building and that's it i've heard legends of this stadium <laughs> and our long island listeners uh will know exactly what you're talking about but that's part of the charm too because when you got a small stadium like that that's just round and enclosed it gets so loud everybody's close to the ice now we know Smashville. Smashville Predators <laughs> have pretty much the best home ice advantage in sports. Yes. People were crazy about that in the playoffs. We heard basically every visiting team, every announcer, sideline guy, just going over there. I can't believe how loud Nashville is. Charles Barkley showing up. <laughs> hey, I'm not the Predators. <laughs> Titans offensive line sitting there shirtless with catfish pounding <laughs> beers. Boy, we had a lot of fun last summer, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Except for that last game. But we're talking about the 80s. The 80s, King's Ransom. When I saw this the first time, I was a little surprised. I didn't feel like I cared for it too much. I got this pet peeve. And now, our rating system isn't Herzog, so obviously this might this might seem like a contradiction. I often do not like it when documentary filmmakers inject themselves into the movie. Now, yes, we have this revolutionary Werner Herzog rating system, one through five Herzogs. And you're thinking, uh, that's what Werner Herzog does. All of his movies are about him interpreting everything that he's looking at. But Werner is such a prolific personality that he gets away with it. I don't know if Peter Berg gets away with it as much as maybe he wants to. That he has apparently been friends with Wayne Gretzky since the early 90s. They got together and uh, they did a celebrity softball game where they met. Peter Berg was talking about how he threw a guy out and everyone booed him. And the guy he threw out turned out to be Gordy Howe. And then I guess... lucky he didn't fight him. <laughs> yeah, get a Gordy Howe hat trick at that celebrity softball game. That's what I'd like to see. I want to see the 30 for 30 on that one. Gordy Howe just beating the hell out of Peter Berg at a celebrity softball game. I know. Peter Berg, if you're listening, we don't really have anything against you. But we do think it would be funny to watch Gordy Howe kick the shit out of you. 
Yeah, that sums it up right there. <laughs> but I guess Wayne Gretzky thought that was funny to be friended Peter Berg, golfing buddies, I guess, ever since. I was kind of confused that the 30 for 30 on King's Ransom was half shot on a golf course. And there was so much. There's a foreboding intro. So much slow motion. <laughs> At the beginning of this, a bunch of circular stadium shots in slow motion. When I was recollecting this from the first time I watched it, it's like half slow motion. And it was really about like the first 15 minutes. Maybe Peter Berg was just trying to fill out an hour here. I don't know. <laughs> it did feel like there was a lot of filler in there. I will say spoiler for the rating later this is not one of my favorite 30 for 30s i get that vibe especially early on in it it's kind of lifetime original movie in there there's I, a lot of soft music soft focus shots in the, in the very beginning there was a very dramatic shot of a pool of what i assume is melted ice oh no those were the tears of canadians the tears of canadians they keep them they kept them <laughs> that's how they introduced him in la just on this and gretzky's like tears. and gretzky's like escalate or whatever the hell he was in his slow motion shot coming in is it a dutch angle when you're like down at the corner and you're shooting up you know what i'm saying hey, like you're a, the film expert here oh am i i'm just here for sports it was like a it was corny it's going to be a word i use a lot discussing documentaries <laughs> that shit was corny i really liked the very very beginning of this too because again this is the very first 30 for 30 they ever made yeah. that intro was so quaint almost it felt like it was made decades ago and not just a few years. Oh, Peter Berg also directed Battleship. Classic American film. So for the rest of this podcast, we're going to reference him as Battleship director Peter Berg. <laughs> and Wayne Gretzky's friend. And Wayne Gretzky's friend, Battleship director Peter Berg. Cut to Edmonton. I love L.A. Don't you love that song? <laughs> so much. But Second to New York State of Mind. But there's some buzz in Edmonton around, what year is this, 84, right? They had just won. It was 88. That's when the trade day happened. They started winning cups in 84. And the Edmonton Oilers, they won four Stanley Cups in five years. Is that right? Yeah, that was it. Four and five years leading up to this deal. Now, as much as I didn't know shit about hockey when I was a kid, everyone knew who Wayne Gretzky was and Mario Lemieux. Those were the names that everyone knew. So it wasn't, I don't remember this particularly, but everyone, even a dumb country kid, knew who great Wayne Gretzky was. The great one i just want to compliment gretzky he has great fake teeth <laughs> i hope to have fake teeth that great someday when you're a hockey player when you're you, the, know, you got two choices you either go with the hockey smile or you get those chiclets implanted but there's some buzz in edmonton gretzky's contract is about to come up they don't know what's going to happen and peter pocklington is uh making a lot of side promises now this peter pocklington guy we were talking about crooked ass owners who don't want to put up their own money he's wild in this documentary he's I, just kind of all over the place my reviews of it upped a little bit from the first viewing just because i became hyper focused on peter pocklington people were like yeah he asked for cash he asked for cash and he's like no nah, no nah, i didn't do that i didn't say that there's reports of him talking shit about wayne gretzky he's like no nah, no nah, i'm a consummate professional let me just go through these bullet points of uh, peter pocklington that uh thank you wikipedia so i'm gonna right, go let's through the peter these. pocklington rundown the son of an insurance executive peter was inspired by motivational speaker earl nightingale's book the strangest secret which i didn't do a lot of research on that book i can only assume it's the canadian how to make friends and influence people i thought 
thought it was the Canadian The Secret. His early business ventures involved shipping old cars on his grandparents' farm and shipping them to Ontario for more than 20 times what he paid because it was uh, a lot drier out west in Canada. So those cars were in better shape than all the oversalted cars that had been around in the east. So he figured out real quick that he could turn a big profit on that. He owned a car dealership at 25. At 29, he bought Shirley Ford in Edmonton, the most successful dealership in Canada. Peter bought part ownership of the then upstart WHA team, the Edmonton Oilers. He owned it all within a year. This earned him the nickname Peter Puck. I was misreading that at first. I thought it was like Peter Buck. I was like, why are they calling him Peter Buck? Like, he's the guitarist for R.E.M.? This marks the second episode where R.E.M. gets brought up, by the way. Are you going to try to make that a running theme? I think I'm going to find a way to squeeze R.E.M. in every podcast. Can we also talk about how episode? terrible nickname peter puck is peter puck because he owned because he bought the oilers Pucklington. and he, there's a lot you could have done there and the oilers went on to the nhl and they did become very successful a gunman entered peter's home intent to kidnap his wife she escaped but peter was held hostage for 11 hours until police snuck into the house and shot both peter and the gunman both survived the gunman served five years and then was deported to his native country of yugoslavia what? Why was that not in the documentary? Well, you know, I guess <laughs> we're focused here on sports. I wonder if Peter Pocklington has his own doc out there. We'll, we'll have to get to that some at some point. This is like a rundown of an interesting, shady businessman. Yes. That's exactly what you're going on right now. Oh, I trust a used car salesman and someone who was attempted to be kidnapped by a Yugoslavian. Canadians, they're a lot more aware of Peter Pocklington. I kind of had to do some research because when I was watching the movie, people were making claims of what he said, and he's contradicting those claims. I'm like, gosh, I don't know what's going on here. I kind of gave Peter the benefit of the doubt. Just uh, five minutes of research on the guy, and I'm like, Nah, he's crooked as shit. <laughs> he entered politics on a platform of free trade and privatizing government institutions, and he narrowly lost the first ballot before dropping out. What ballot was this? Was he going to be the Canadian Prime Minister? I think he was looking to be, what the hell was he going to be? Like um, Start us at some local level. Yeah, I think he was trying to go local. Bad U.S. investments caused Peter's California home to be seized. The court ruled him to serve time for fraud. He was exonerated in that claim. A securities fraud conviction ordered him to pay the commission over $5 million in fees. And from the point of the of the date of the research that I read, he had yet to pay those fees. So this guy probably still owes, like, literally millions of dollars. Yeah, you want to pay the fee? Yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. Whenever I get to it, you'll get your money. That's Peter Pocklington. Keep those bullet points in mind as we go through and continue to review this. Easily my favorite part of this uh, movie, and probably any of these 30 for 30s, is the classic footage of Gretzky just making history. What time? Crying at his press conference? Crying. Well, there was old shots that showed him making his 50th goal, which was an open net. Okay, that, that makes sense. I did like the hockey highlights that they threw in there. For like 10 minutes for no reason. The player awards, uh, that player awards show music. I don't know if you remember that. That was real, some real hot shit right there. I wrote in my notes, and this is regarding the golf course shots. Why are you in this shot, Berg? Every time they had to show that he was just buddies with Wayne Gretzky. I felt like the only time maybe it seemed remotely appropriate was when Peter asked him how many cups he thought he would have won if he stayed in Edmonton. That was a great line because... He did not win a single cup in L.A. When he went, this trade went through. Los Angeles was 20th out of the 21 NHL teams. Yeah. We're talking about one of the worst teams being traded to after being on a team that won four cups in five years. Yes. 
with their supporting cast all still in place. And even with the great one, they would go in, they would enter the playoffs and go deep a couple of times, but they never won a cup with Gratzky at the helm. It was, it was a different time. And again, how many cups he could have won if he stayed in Edmonton? What was his answer there? Uh, I think he said he could have won four more cups if he stayed in Edmonton. Edmonton won a cup. I think it's, uh, what was it, 1990? Yeah, they won a cup without him, with Yari Curry leading that team. But that's a strange thing, saying that I could have won four or five more cups. Eh, you know, you feel like a guy interviewing him, even if you're on a golf course with your buddy, would be like, and does that eat at you? Or do you really regret that? It's just kind of like, huh, yeah, I guess you could have. Oh, well. So the news comes out that Peter Pocklington is going to trade Wayne Gretzky to the Los Angeles Kings. I forget what he was asking for at first, but it ended up being about $15 million and a few picks. It was claimed that Pocklington requested $15 million cash. What was amazing about this to me is that it seems like he got traded to the Kings for the sole reason that they were the only team with the balls to make an offer for him. Every other team is just like, all right, Wayne Gretzky's untradeable. And Dr. Jerry Buss, who owned the Kings at the, t- at the first time, the first interaction, was like, hey, I'll give you $15 million cash for Gretzky. He was like, oh, yeah, whatever. I'm not trading Gretzky. But and then he kept bringing it up over and over again <laughs> until Pocklington's like, man, $15 million in cash sounds pretty good. The other teams were probably like, there's no way he's going to trade Gretzky. Yeah, there, like, that's not going to happen. There weren't even rumors. And again, it wasn't a hockey trade. He sold Gretzky. This is a Babe Ruth sold to the Yankees situation. Yes. It's not like he traded Gretzky for a bunch of players who was like, they'll be as good as Gretzky one day, or they're going to help the team more. No, this was a straight-up sell. Yeah. This was for money for Peter Pocklington, maybe to help the Oilers survive in Edmonton if you want to be real altruistic about it. But no, he sold the best hockey player in the world to L.A. It was a different owner by the time the trade went through. Dr. Buss lost it. And it was, what, Bruce, uh, Bruce McNall? I can't. Name? I think that sounds right. Who would later go to jail for fraud. <laughs> yes. As we saw in the nice, uh, you know, cops-esque ending of lot, this lot documentary. Of, a lot of fraud in these dudes' uh, uh, line of works here. But I love the interviews with Bruce McNeil. He was one of my favorite parts of this documentary, actually. Every time they cut to him with his no eyes, just sitting in there saying, oh, he said I could get Gretzky. And I was like, I could get Gretzky? Let's do it. <laughs> I can't believe it actually happened. And it all happened from the conversations that the previous owner had. And Pocklington just letting it marinate and saying, man, I sure would love $15 million in cash. I think I'd probably trade Wayne Gretzky, too, for $15 million in cash. <laughs> I love the shots when the rumors are going out. They're talking to the people of Edmonton, and, the, and one after the other, they're like, no, nah, he's the greatest. You don't, you don't trade away the greatest hockey player. And there's one guy at a bar that's like, yeah, I'd take the money. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of relate to that guy. I hear what he's saying. But again, you're not a multimillionaire who owns a sports team. So these uh, now these rumors are going around. It comes out that there just might be a trade deal. It has to be finalized by Wayne. But Peter is trying to justify a lot of things. He's, he's talking to how uh, Wayne Gretzky's a prima donna and that his wife would never come to Edmonton, which I kind of believe that. I mean, she's an actress. and Yeah, they kind of threw her under the bus there, too. But the thing is... Yeah, and I mean, they made her out, of course, Janet Jones, that's her name, Wayne Gretzky's wife. They call her the the Yoko Ono of (laughs) hockey, but Yoko Ono isn't even the Yoko Ono of the Beatles. That band had run its course, it was just time. And Wayne was already, like, he was already becoming, he he said he lived in L.A. most of the time when he wasn't playing hockey, so he was kind of already becoming like an 80s California yuppie anyway. I wouldn't go quite that far. I mean, he's still, even marrying his L.A. actress wife, they got married 
made in Canada, where it seemed like everybody in Canada was just there at the wedding. Yeah. Which is kind of strange. <laughs> Not how it works today with your celebrity marriages. But I don't, I mean, I don't know uh, Janet Jones that well, but I kind of believe that she would not want to. I say that, but they're loaded as hell. They could just hop a plane and that's it. Yeah. And I'm also saying here that it wasn't like he gave Wayne Gretzky the chance and had to clear it with him first. I think this was another Peter Pockington just wanted to have everything both ways. He wanted to make the trade. He didn't want to seem like a bad guy. He wanted to sound like he was giving Wayne the option. Yeah. But it's not like he had a no trade clause. He didn't have to clear it with Gretzky. That's right. He basically said he made the trade. And then once they get to the press conference, after the trade was made, there's that whole scene about the plane lands down. Yeah. And then they take Wayne aside and say, hey, if you don't want to do this, this is your last chance to get out of it. Right. There's no chance there. No. Come on. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, Wayne said that he, after he heard rumblings of Peter complaining about him and him talking to his dad, that that helped the impetus. If Peter Pocklington wants 15 mil, and that, that's just what it's going to be. Yeah, it was in the works for years he was letting this marinate. It well, wasn't because of Wayne's contract situation or his play on the ice. Oh, I love how Janet Jones said that Wayne planned the entire wedding. <laughs> Where did, what does he do that? Who does that? It's just a side hobby of his? Who wants to do that? <laughs> Fun fact, Wayne Gretzky really into floral arrangements. Yeah, he's super into it. He likes uh, he likes banisters and uh, column. What are those fucking things? Uh, you remember that scene of him just holding up different doilies and being like, which yeah. one do you like, Janet? <laughs> I want to see the documentary of him planning his own wedding. <laughs> I want to watch that one, too. And I hope it also stars Mark Messier with hair because that was one of the weirder parts of this one. The Glenn say that the Oilers coach, not fucking happy at all. <laughs> he was so mad. So fucking pissed. And you can't blame him because he's the coach. They just won four Stanley Cups yeah. in five years. He's like, hey, we're selling off your best player. Okay, what are you getting back for him? Money. It's his job to make sure that team wins games. There's nothing in his brain that's going to be like, we got to get rid of Gretzky. That would just be like shooting yourself in the leg. Uh, not to mention he's supposedly got the title of GM, but the owner's been talking for years with Los Angeles about just taking, just selling off Gretzky. And he told Sather once it was actually done. Peter Pocklington really likes to have it a bunch of different ways in this documentary. But it's hard to just see past that straight fact that he got offered 15 million bucks in cash for his star player, thought about it for a little while, and then took it. Yeah. That's, that's the bones about it. Pretty much as simple as that. August 9th, 1988. It's the big day. Wayne Gretzky's walking up to the press conference. There's a guy. I don't recognize that guy, but he had an amazing <laughs> mullet. <laughs> there was a lot of really good hair in this one. You got Canadian hockey hair, 80s hair, nice mustaches around. And again, Mark Messier with hair. And despite the urging of Canadian parliament members to... For the government to intervene on this trade. I love that part, too. Canada, you don't fuck with Canada's hockey. The government wanted them to stop the trade from going through. That's just fantastic. If you want a Canadian city to riot, have them lose a Stanley Cup to a team where the ponds don't freeze. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen that happen now. Yes. And we've also seen years when no Canadian teams made the playoffs, even. Canada, thank you so much for bringing this sport to us, my... My favorite sport, but I smile with glee with Canadians. <laughs> Don't win the Stanley Cup. I don't know, man. I, I still kind of like it. I still kind of root for those Canadian teams to get it done. 
you know there's a lot of love there. Right now we're seeing another one of those shady ownership situations where the Flames are threatening to leave if they don't fix their stadium up. I don't want to see that anymore. I mean, I hear what you're saying, and we owe, we owe Canadians. I owe, I feel like I do owe Canadians for the fact that hockey is now here because they made it the North American giant sport that it is. And, hey, they still have the Olympics. We are considered an out-of-market hockey team here in Nashville with the Predators. So I always have those soft spots for places like Jacksonville, Charlotte, Phoenix. I feel sad for Phoenix fans when it looks like they're going to lose the Coyotes because I understand what that feeling is like. I love hockey forever, and it would just suck if they were gone. So And that happened in Nashville. There were rumors for a while about the team leaving, and there were all those threats if they didn't hit a certain attendance level that would trigger some claws where they could get out of their lease and then some dude i forget the guy's name in hamilton who had already made mm-hmm. the claim that he had the predators but apparently that guy was yet another line wannabe sports owner here weird fact rich people sometimes scumbags gosh who would have thought isn't it depressing that you kind of have to be a sociopath to become extremely successful like that oh man that is really depressing all right can we start another podcast that's just us maniacally hating on people and coming up with scams. <laughs> we don't hate all rich people. I know some perfectly fine rich people, but God. I mean, look, if Nigerian emails work. It seems like you need to come up with a really good idea and then figure out how to make it stupid. <laughs> and then somehow that'll that'll work. Deep thoughts on the documenteers. Wayne, he's at this press conference. He cannot hide these emotions. I, it, re- it really was touching to watch him say goodbye to... His home, his adopted home. He's uh, Canada's proud son. He's not from Edmonton, but Edmonton is as good a home as any to him. And he's having to say goodbye. That was a wild press conference, man. It wasn't just a couple tears. I mean, he broke down. He had to stop at what he was saying. He was getting tissues the whole time. And then later in the documentary, you have Peter Pocklington saying, eh, it was probably fake. <laughs> what a shithill. But you say this, and he's such an enemy there, and they just kind of throw in at the beginning of the documentary. Look, Peter Pocklington is the villain of this film. Yes. But you've got to remember that Edmonton doesn't even have a hockey team without him. Yes. He's the one who bought the AHL team, who brought it up into an NHL team. There's no NHL in Edmonton. So what do you think Pocklington's Canadian legacy is all the time? They didn't really go into this in the documentary. But I wanted this. Is he a hero? Is he a villain? Is he somewhere in between? Some people are cursing his name. Some people are, but he did some good stuff too. I think he's probably going to veer more towards the villain side. But the only thing, because this trade is going to be the biggest story of his life. Uh, that uh, the one where he was held hostage for 11 hours and then shot by, I guess that's the Edmonton police that shot him? I don't know. That's just a quick little line in the uh, Wikipedia bio. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, was right. this before or after the trade? I think it was, you know, I don't know. If it was after, maybe Edmonton police just kind of wanted to shoot him. Pocklington doesn't want to be the villain, according to what someone else said. According that- to him, too, if you're watching the documentary, because there's so many, so much instances of him trying to justify it. But Pocklington said he that he didn't say that he didn't want to be the villain. Every time someone says, Peter said this, Pocklington goes, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say anything about him crying fake tears. That wasn't me. And then, of course, he did trash, or allegedly, because apparently this guy says a lot of shit. I wouldn't be surprised if he can't keep up with a lot of the bullshit that comes out of his mouth. That day, uh, that trade day in 1988 could also be called Fuck Peter Pocklington Day in Edmonton. I think you could have nice holiday. I think you could have shot uh, the Warriors in Edmonton after that trade <laughs> announcement. 
<laughs> just trying to get through yeah. all the guys with hockey sticks. Yeah, I wrote here, post-apocalyptic Edmonton, 1988. We did see the little burning the effigy. That was a nice shot in the film. But that happens every time people make a trade nowadays. Oh, they trade Besant as a free agent. I'm going to burn his jersey. This was an emotional event for an entire country. Yes. And I still, I get mad saying it's a trade because it wasn't. He sold him off. If he went to, it wouldn't have been so anti-Canada if he went over to like Toronto or something. But no, the fact that he left that country to play in the United States was a lot of Canadians felt like that was a burn to the entire country. And Los Angeles of all places. I can only imagine what people from Edmonton, which is Western, more rural Canada, Think of Los Angeles. It will Gretzky going down to La La Land with his, quote, Hollywood harlot. Ooh. You're a headline writer for The Inquirer? Yeah. I in think your someone, spare time? I think someone said that. <laughs> but so Gretzky is now an L.A. king. Uh, they drew 8K a night and now just about selling out most every game. That one day, they spent a little bit of time on that first game he played in L.A. And that one game, it really did change everything for that franchise, for maybe even American hockey. But just for hockey as a destination event, they kept showing all the celebrities that were in the stands there like it was a Laker game. That never happened to Los Angeles hockey before this. Yes. Again, they were almost the worst team in the league before the trade. But you're not seeing celebrities at hockey games. Nobody's panning, oh, who's at courtside? Well, they were showing, they showed, there was John Candy. A Canadian. Uh, I remember Kevin Costner coming out, thumbs up, being like, we win again. Yeah, I'm a big Kings fan. Big Kings fan, that Costner. Uh, I think they showed uh, Sylvester Stallone in the stands at some point. It was an event. It was amazing. That's it a made f- hockey fashionable in yes. a city like Los Angeles. Might be the most fair-weather town <laughs> ever all of a sudden. Now, the Kings in the 21st century have won two Stanley Cups. Uh, one year they won eight seed, lost no more than four games throughout the playoffs. An amazing Stanley Cup victory. Even then, they probably were not as popular as they were when Wayne Gretzky went to the Los Angeles. Oh, no chance. There wasn't everybody packing out the stadium trying to be seen as a Kings fan. I felt like the Celebrity Fest was that was some phony stuff. It was a good, kind of a to be seen. I mean, oh, that's just that's how celebrity. That's just how that scene's going to be in Los Angeles, I suppose. Man, that was that was exciting. That really did change everything for hockey there. They sold four to five thousand season tickets at the Forum that first year. That's how big Wayne Gretzky was. I'm, I feel like we missed out a little bit though, because if the Oilers did not win that Stanley Cup after he left. You could have had some real Curse of the Bambino shit going on. Yeah. This was equivalent to selling Babe Ruth, like the best, most popular player in the league, traded not for assets but for money. And as great as he was, it showed that you need more than just one great one to make a team. Because they did not win a Stanley Cup in L.A. with Wayne Gretzky. Gretzky says he could have won four more if he stayed with the Oilers. Poor Luke Robitaille. Yes, like you said, the Oilers did win a cup in 1990. Uh, Gretzky won the Hart Trophy first year with the Kings. But Pocklington has no regrets for that trade. He describes it as the greatest trade ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Bullshit. I mean, it's the most notorious trade ever done. I don't know if that's the same as the greatest. I wouldn't even go that far. I mean, he traded the greatest. Maybe he's doing a little bit of wordplay here. <laughs> that's the only way that statement makes any well, sense. Well, Wayne Gretzky's the greatest, and therefore it's the greatest trade ever done. The trade of the greatest. Well, they he signed with the Rangers late in his career. That was the greatest free agent signing ever. And that, of course, is the uh, story of King's Ransom by Battleship director 
Peter Berg. I feel like we need a little bit more of that pure moods music that they had <laughs> went on through this entire documentary to just kind of get us in the right headspace. Stretching out that slow-mo. Now, critically, the story is interesting. It helps that I am a hockey fan. But there was, like, a lot of, like, little things in it. And there were, like, Peter Pockley, admittedly, he, he made this an enjoyable movie to me. But there was, like, some choices specifically involving Peter Berg being in his own movie it just felt like it was unnecessary the, the only time like i said that it was compelling was when he asked him how many cups he thought he would have won other than that it just seemed like it was like hey look it's me and my buddy wayne playing golf there's a lot of shots of them on the sunny golf course in a documentary about <laughs> the trade of the most famous canadian hockey player of all time in those slow motion tracking shots at the very beginning that was that brought it down that that's lame corny shit that was a lot of unnecessary shots in this was he really just trying to fill out the hour that's what you could say he did have to fill out an hour how many times do they show a stadium going dark it was more than once which yes. is more than is necessary to get that point across now as we get to this these criticisms it was uh it's a it's a worthy tale to tell but where does he rate on the herzog one through five rating scale how many herzogs would you give a king's ransom by battleship director peter berg i like the story i think it's a good one to tell the historical import of it being the first 30 for 30 something that's really culturally relevant has become a phenomenon in among itself i mean there's 30 for 30 podcasts now there's 30 for 30 movies there's 30 for 30 shorts it's like its own business right now even after simmons isn't associated with the project anymore hence us being here on the documenteers with the special 30 for 30 episodes bringing in your sports talk radio hosts to talk about the it. sports master but i'm gonna go ahead and give this one a two herzogs on two herzogs interesting i'm pretty much with you all the way i feel like a two herzog is like this isn't great and the three is like that's a serviceable film exactly it isn't great but it's not like this shouldn't have been made at all so i'm going to give it 2.5 herzogs because I enjoyed it slightly more than I did when I first saw it, but it still doesn't put it over that. Like there, it still shows that it's there's some real criticisms. It's a democracy, so people are people are out there buzzing. They're saying like, Bobby, you you hurt your fucking Herzog scale is just the star scale with fucking Werner Herzog instead of stars. Who said that? Some motherfuckers out there. <laughs> but let me tell you what, we combine our scores. That means wait, I'm no math whiz here, but. You put those together. Now, Stuart and I gave Jim and Andy into the great beyond four out of five Herzogs. We both gave it that. That makes it eight out of ten Herzogs total. Therefore, uh, let's do some math together. We're going up to ten. You're springing a little trick on me here. Two. We're averaging it out on a five Herzog scale. Well, it's individually a five Herzog scale, and then we combine like Voltron or, nice, or whatever, nice. Power Rangers or whatever. Or like the Edmonton Oilers, post-Gretzky coming together as a team to win a Stanley Cup. That's right. King's Ransom, two from two Herzogs from you, 2.5 from me. That is a measly 4.5 Herzogs out of 10. For King's Ransom by Battleship Director Peter Berg. Congratulations, Peter Berg, on your low Herzog score. And that will do it for our very first 30 for 30 Documenteers episode. Thanks for having me on, Documenteer. This was a good time. All right, play some hockey.
I'm just reviewing another documentary. I'll be out in a moment. <laughs>